ಜ್ಞಾನಾಂಜನಾಚಲಾಕಾಯ ಚಕ್ಷುರೂನ್ಮಿಲಿತೀಗುರುಭೇನ್ನಮಃ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಮೈ ವೆರಿ ಗ್ರೇಟ್ ಆನರ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಪ್ಲೆಜರ್ ಟು ಬಿ ವಿತ್ ವಿತ್ ಆಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಯು ಅಗೇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ಈವ್ನಿಂಗ್ ಐ ವಾಸ್ ಆಸ್ಕ್ ಬೈ ಅವರ್ ಪದ್ಮನಾಭ to speak briefly on the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous my humble plea <clears throat> to all of you this evening as did you understand the power of god's mercy and to take very seriously and in a genuine and un- honest spirit the 12 steps of recovering from this very very horrible disease of alcoholism you know in fact the very tendency that leads one to the suffering condition of alcoholism is the tendency that leads people of all walks of life to the various causes of bondage and sufferings in this world when we take our life in our own hands when we try to act independent of the will of god that in fact is the basic root cause of all ignorance and all suffering and all bondage in this entire creation in the bible we read about adam and eve they were created perfect by god and they were given a perfect facility to enjoy as long as they lived according to their natural condition in harmony with his divine will <clears throat> but when they decided to direct their life independent of the will of god take their life and their destiny in their own hands all their sorrows all their troubles all their problems began at that time god told them you can enjoy even everything within the garden of even eden to your heart's content except that apple is meant for my enjoyment and satan through the lips of a serpent whispered into the heart of eve eat the apple because if you eat the apple you can become as good as god and when they ate the apple which is a symbol of envy of god their fall down from their perfect position of eternal happiness began 
And you see, this is the story of everyone's life in this material world. That when we decide that we know better than God, when we want to take our life in our hands and disregard the will of God, when we feel we have the power and the control to lead our own destiny and take our life out of the hands of God, that is the root cause of all bondage and all suffering. And one who is suffering from the disease of alcoholism, in one sense, is most fortunate amongst men. Because this whole world, in great illusion, is making plans independent of the will of God and being kicked by the miseries of material existence again and again and again. And they never really sober up from this intoxication of false pride to really try to humble themselves again before the supreme will of God. But one who is in the most downtrodden and helpless condition, such a person is forced by his circumstances to admit to himself and to admit to God that without your mercy, there's nothing I can do. I say forced, but we are forced into a position of suffering, but we are never forced to turn to God. Although the miseries of material existence and the most hopeless conditions of life is the best possible opportunity to turn to God. Many of you have seen Mahabharata on the television. Two weeks back, we saw the predicament of Draupadi. The predicament of Draupadi is the predicament of everyone in this material world. Draupadi was being exploited by forces far beyond her own power to resist. Dushasana was a very powerful warrior and he was determined to strip her naked, to destroy her chastity, and to ruin her fame and her life. And of course, for a chaste woman, her chastity is more dear to her than anything in life. Now, Draupadi was a princess. She was the daughter of King Draupada, and she was the wife of Yudhisthira. 
She was born and raised with the greatest opulence of wealth, prestige. She had armies at her disposal. She was also very clever and intelligent. But she was put in a predicament where all of her money, all of her prestige, even having the most powerful heroes as husbands, none of them could help her. There was no power that she had to save herself. In this condition, it was a very, very great awakening that she was completely dependent on the mercy of God. But the only possible way to get that mercy of God is first you have to admit to yourself that you are powerless. First you have to admit to yourself that you are hopeless. And you have to want that mercy more than anything else in life. And if you are not willing to adopt that consciousness within your heart, you are not worthy of the mercy of God. Nor will God bestow that mercy upon you. You see, these 12 steps, which have just been read by our dear brother and friend, they are not like in many organizations, just mechanical procedure that one must follow. But these are steps that must be pondered upon within the core of our heart. When we are going from one step to the next, we must be honestly and sincerely praying to the Lord within our heart to actually change our lives. Anyone who sincerely, genuinely, and honestly follows these 12 steps, not only will all his alcoholic problems be solved, but in fact, the doors to the kingdom of God will be opened in one's life. And that is a fact. The first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. False pride is the greatest enemy in this world. It is the root cause of all sin, and it is the root cause of all suffering. The fact is, without the help of God, we cannot even exist for one second. If God does not supply the air, if God does not supply the sunshine, if God does not supply rain, we cannot live for a moment. The fact is, the truth is, we are totally depending on the mercy of God 
at every stage of our life. This is the universal principle of religion, to understand our full dependence on God, to recognize that, to recognize our helpless condition, to recognize our endless weaknesses. The fact is we are all weak. And one who considers himself strong is in the greatest illusion, and he is the weakest. What I say is there are millions of people in this city and billions of people in this world who really think that they have their lives under their control. But the alcoholics in this room have a much deeper strength in their life than practically 99% of this world because they understand the truth of their own weakness. They are not illusioned and intoxicated by the misconception that they can manage their own lives. The fourth step is made a searching and fearless moral, moral inventory of ourselves, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Of all qualities, there is no more glorious quality than humility. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is a great incarnation of the Supreme Godhead, he prayed in this way. That one should consider oneself more humble than a blade of grass. One should be more tolerant than a tree. One should be ready to offer all respect to others and to expect no respect for oneself. Only in this state of mind can one truly, from the heart, call out the names of God constantly. Unless we humble ourselves, unless we empty ourselves, we cannot actually approach the Supreme Lord. What we are talking about is not a mechanical procedure. We are talking about a change of heart. And this is what is necessary. This is what is essential to overcome the sufferings, the problems in this world. Factually, alcoholism is one of the most deadly diseases on the face of this earth. It is responsible for murders, for deaths, for destruction of families. In the country I am from, I can speak with more information. In America, the greatest single cause of death is automobile accidents. 
and 80% of all serious automobile accidents are caused by someone who is under the influence of alcohol. Alcohol is the biggest murderer in America. And when you become an alcoholic, you are embracing and becoming a friend of the most notorious murderer on earth. and you are thinking it will give you some relief, some solace, some happiness. In America, every two marriages end in divorce. And most of the divorces are due to problem of either alcoholism or drug abuse. Essentially, drug abuse and alcoholism is the same thing. As you all well know from your own experience, how alcoholism <clears throat> not only destroys one's own life, but it breaks the heart and destroys the lives of the well-wishers and lovers who truly are concerned and caring about you. So therefore we should understand that this urge, this tendency, is like a demon, a demon that is living within our heart, a demon that is trying to possess us and slay all the good qualities that we have. And the fact is, this demon will destroy all good qualities. Even the most pious, virtuous people, when they allow this demon to enter into their lives, they become corrupt, dishonest, sinful, inconsiderate. In fact, they become demons. We have to understand the strength and the nature of the enemy that is living within us. And we have to understand that this demon is so powerful that it is causing havoc throughout the entire earth. And we have to understand that we are very tiny and weak. And we have absolutely no offense, defense, against this all-powerful demon within us. But in all the great scriptures of the world, we find that the great saintly persons with the strength of God behind them, they can destroy all demons. Just like when Ramchandraji appeared in this earth, Ravana was a great demon. He was causing havoc and fury throughout the land, and nobody could overcome him. Even the demigods had to respectfully surrender to his powerful will. But when the demigods and the sincere souls called upon the Lord to save them from this demon, then Lord Ramchandra appeared.
and he slayed the powerful Ravana and again created prosperity on earth. Similarly, when Kamsa and the other great demons were creating a burden on earth, there was nobody that could overcome their influence. So again, the saints, the sincere innocent persons, and the demigods, they all prayed to God, please save us from these demons. And Lord Sri Krishna appeared as the son of Vasudeva and Devaki, and he slayed all the demons on earth, and again established dharma, righteous life, piety, and spiritual principles. Similarly, Hiranyakashipu was such a powerful demon, he, he overcame the entire universe. It wasn't until Prahlad, the innocent child, prayed to the Lord for protection that the Lord came and destroyed this demon who was unconquerable by any other means. How on so many occasions he found people who were hopelessly and helplessly possessed by ghostly demons. And family members and all people of society were helpless to help such a person. But on the authority of God, Jesus ordered those demons to leave, and that demon had to leave. So know that this addiction, this influence, is due to the presence of the most all-devouring demon on earth who's living in your heart. And the fact is you are hopeless and you are helpless on your own to resist in any way, shape, or form from the power of this demon. This demon is very, very clever. Sometimes he will allow you to appear to be successful in overcoming him only to infatuate you by that false pride so at the least expected moment he could smash you down and give you the full realization that you are his slave. Therefore, unless we sincerely, honestly, and genuinely learn to humble ourselves before God, to humble ourselves before saintly persons. Indeed, to humble ourselves before all humanity. And in this state, to cry out like Draupadi, cry out the names of God. Beckon the Lord from the core of one's heart Please save me. Please destroy these demons that are controlling my life. Please. I have no other shelter, no other hope than you. The Lord is seated within the heart of every living being. And he hears the prayer of those who sincerely beseech his mercy. That is his promise. That is his vow. 
that the honest and sincere prayer of anyone will never go in vain. The Lord is sometimes called Patita Pavana. He's also called Akinchana Gochara, which means he is especially available for those who are in the lowest, most downtrodden, and most suffering and miserable condition of life. Because those persons have the best opportunity to truly humble themselves and call out, my dear Lord, from this day, I am yours. You take me, you pick me up. I am in your hands. Make a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to all of them. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. You see, it is, <clears throat> it is a very difficult thing to admit before other men that we are wrong. But factually, this is one of the greatest strengths in life. To a materialistic person who is completely infatuated by illusion, to admit that you're wrong is a weakness. But for one who is in knowledge, the ability to admit that you're wrong is the greatest strength. In this society that we're living, everyone is trying to be better than everyone else. Everyone is trying to prove themselves in a fierce competition to be very elevated in whatever field of life they may be in. Therefore, when we are accused of something, right or wrong, we immediately become very angry. We don't want to admit it. When we have defects, we want to keep those defects in our heart. We don't want anyone else to see it because it will ruin our prestige and our image. People will think that we are weak. This is the greatest weakness. You see, an enemy is most powerful when that enemy is undetected. In warfare, military science, Bhishma explained to Maharaj Yudhisthira that the greatest strength that you have is to have good spies. And the greatest weakness in your government is to the degree that spies from the enemy camp are undetected within your own ranks. Huh? Because the opposing army has so many, they may have millions of soldiers and billions of dollars of bombs. But that is not their greatest strength. 
Their greatest strength is the spies they have in your camp. Because they know exactly what your weakness is and everything about you. And exactly where you're vulnerable, when you're vulnerable. Now a spy is only potent as long as that spy is undetected. So similarly, the weaknesses that we are harboring within our own heart are our enemies. And as long as they are undetected, they are unconquerable. Therefore, we read here that whatever weaknesses one has, whatever one mis mistakes one makes, don't cover for them. Admit them. Expose them. When they are exposed, they can be slayed. When they are hidden, they will simply conquer you from within. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. Number 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge for his will for us and the power to carry that out. We must in the process of taking shelter of the Lord, honestly and sincerely accept a spiritual process. We are not speaking of a sectarian religious organization, but we are speaking of taking a particular inspiration from a particular guru, sadhu, or religion, whatever that may be, and following it. All the great prophets, all the great yogis, all the great gurus, they have taught in essence the same essential process of how to approach God. Through humbling ourselves, through offering prayers, through meditation, and of course, of all forms of meditation, recommended in all the great scriptures of the world, there is none so powerful as chanting the holy name of God. The Bible describes, chant the name of God and you will be saved. Hallowed be the name of God. In the Quran it is described that the all-powerful beneficial name of Allah should be on the lips of all who practice Islam surrender to God. And in the Vedas, it is very strongly <coughs> ordered for all living beings in this Kali Yuga. Harinama, Harinam, Harinami, Bakebalam, Kalo, Nasteva, 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 Gatiranjata. That there is no other way in this age of Kali than chanting the names of God for deliverance from the vices of this world and the miseries of material life. So this eleventh step is specifically <clears throat> giving us that inspiration by which we should literally take shelter of a spiritual process by which we can approach God and receive His mercy.
When we chant the holy name of God, we must not chant in mechanical state of mind. We must learn to chant in the same way that Draupadi chanted the names of Govinda in her desperate condition. And if you admit and realize the desperate condition you're in, you are factually the most fortunate man or woman on earth. Because you could chant the name of God with feeling, with desperation, with helplessness, that a person in a comfortable situation in this world will never understand. That is why the Lord told Maharaj Yudhisthira, Lord Sri Krishna, Yasyaham anagrimenami harishyetadhanam shanai. Maharaj Yudhisthira was a pious man. He lost everything. He lost his prestige. He lost all his money. He lost all his wealth. He was living in the forest. He was being hunted down like a criminal. And he asked Lord Krishna that I'm your devotee. Why have you done like this to me? And Krishna replied, This means that when I want to show my most special compassion upon my devotee, I take everything away from him. I smash that devotee down to the most helpless condition of life. And in this condition, my devotee has no one else to turn to and nowhere else to turn except to me. In that condition, with a heart full of humility and sincerity, my devotee cries out, Lord, save me. That, God says, is the greatest act of his mercy. And in the Bible, the same thing is echoed. Lord Jesus Christ said that it is easier to thread a camel through the eye of a needle than a man intoxicated and attached to his wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And that is a fact. It is the greatest fortune from a spiritual point of view to be in a hopeless and helpless condition. But the question is, will we take advantage of that fortune? If we take advantage of the fortune and with a genuine change of heart, change our life, cry out for God and surrender to God, then our path back to the spiritual world is opened wide. But in this condition of destitute and misery, if we do not take the opportunity to cry out for God, then we will simply suffer more miserable than anyone else on earth. Now most of you in this room, you have the good fortune of being faced with this reality. And this is your choice. Either you will humble yourself, change your heart, and genuinely, honestly turn to the saints, turn to those who can give us spiritual direction, turn to God and cry out his holy name and be the most fortunate people 
in all of creation have the supreme blessings of Lord within our life. That is one choice. And the other choice is in the predicament that we're in, that we suffer more miserably than anyone else and die a slow, horrible death. You are faced with this decision in your life. You, in your predicament, have the opportunity to be the most fortunate or the most unfortunate, the most peaceful and blissful or the most utterly miserable. And for someone in your conditions, there's not much in between. It's one or the other. Either you surrender or you suffer miserably. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. You see, if one honestly and sincerely practices these 11 steps that we have just narrated, then one will be the wealthiest man on earth because the wealth of God, of love of God, of devotion to God, is unparalleled by the perishable wealth in this world. Lord Jesus Christ said, make your treasure not in this world, but in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is within your heart. He said, the treasures of this world are subjected to be stolen by thieves, corroded by rust, and eaten by moths. It is a fact. You can work so hard for the treasures of this world, but there's no happiness, there's no satisfaction, there's no peace, and there's no guarantee you can keep it tomorrow. But Lord Jesus said that the treasure in the kingdom of God there is no thieves, there is no rust, there is no moths. What is the gain if you gain the whole world but you lose your eternal soul? So understand the greatest wealth is the understanding that if we live according to the will of God, if we live in harmony with His will, when we put ourselves in His hands, Love, happiness, and peace is ours. And it is the duty of a wealthy man to give in charity. Because it is a spiritual principle that what you have, if you don't share it, it will be taken away. And that is a fact. In the material world, the material concept is the more you give, the less you have. But in spiritual mathematics, the more you give, the more you have to give. And the more you try to take, the less you have. 
So by developing this spirituality in your life, through following these steps, we develop a real wealth of integrity within our own life. Now in order to maintain and reinforce that wealth, we must be constantly giving that wealth in charity to those in need. If the good Lord and those who are acting as his representatives have saved you from a desperate problem in life and picked you up, it is your obligation, it is your debt that you must return that same favor to anyone else possible that you can. In giving, we receive. The more we give of ourselves to help another solve his problems, the more we forget our own problems. Huh? Isn't that true, Nikki? And when you forget your problems, that means you have no problems. Because all our problems are simply mental. When we're selfish, we are plagued with all our own problems. And that's all we think about is our own problems. And we simply want everybody to help us with our problems. But when we have a genuine concern to help others, to make their problems our problems, then miraculously, by the grace of God, we find that we have no more problems. And factually, this is the greatest charity. To heal a sick man, to feed a hungry man, that is piety. That is a very good charity. But the greatest charity, the supreme charity, is to help uplift a suffering conditioned soul and bring him closer to God. These 12 steps, which are the very essence and basis of the philosophy of Alcoholics Anonymous, are a glorious light for the, to illuminate this world. Because essentially it is the basic principles of all the great religions of the world that is being presented in a very beautiful non-sectarian way. Internalize, meditate on what each of these steps truly means to your life. Do not be superficial. Understand the grave need and the great opportunity that is before us. The process of surrendering to God is the purpose and goal of our life. And we must truly admit our wrongs, humble ourselves, approach 
spiritual persons and learn the process. In my heart, I honestly say that you people are the most fortunate persons on earth. Because the reason why you're in this room is you're admitting your weaknesses and you're crying out to God to save you. If you go to church, if you go to mosque, if you go to temple, most people are doing their pujas very ritualistically. They're attending their services because it's their family tradition. They're not really crying out. Therefore, God is not really responding to their prayers, to their rituals, or to their pujas. It's mechanical. In most cases, a person's religious or spiritual life is just an addition to the rest of their life. It's just one particular aspect of their life that I go to church on Sunday, I go to temple on Sunday, I do my puja every morning, I chant my malas every morning, and I do all these other... This is one aspect of my life. But you see, the problem that you have, you are in a corner where in order to solve this problem, your relationship with God cannot be an aspect of your life. It cannot be a ritual. It cannot be a tradition. It has to be the deciding factor of life or death. You are in a position where you have to know that putting yourselves 24 hours in the hands of God is your only hope for survival. Huh? Therefore, you are the most fortunate people on earth. The question is, will you accept the good fortune? Or will you reject it? Will you surrender to God? Or will you simply cause pain to all your loved ones? Crucify yourself by dying a miserable death. That is your choice. And God is so kind that he is willing to take the risk of putting you in this predicament just to give you the opportunity of attaining the highest. So I pray to the Lord, Sri Krishna, I pray that all of you moment after moment make the right decision. I pray that the blessings of the Lord may be accepted in your hearts. Know that the blessings of God are already upon you. It's not a question of asking the Lord for his blessings. The blessings are already upon you in full. The prayer is, my Lord, please give me the humility to accept this blessing in my life. Become your devotee.
and allow your will to direct my life for all eternity. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Maharaj. Now we'll have about 10 minutes for questions. Any questions some of you would like to ask, Maharaj will answer. a decision to turn our will in our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. As I was explaining, this is the ultimate decision in our life. Are we going to put our future and our destiny in our own hands? Or are we going to put our life in the hands of God? To turn our will and our lives over to the care of God means, first of all, to admit that we know nothing. I will use an example of the Bhagavad Gita. In the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna, he was a very intelligent man. Huh? In fact, he was a genius by all material standards. He was pious, he was religious, he was an expert diplomat, an expert fighter, an expert politician. He was one of the most famous men on earth. Arjuna was on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. And he was situated between two armies. One represented Dharma and one represented Adharma. The Kuru dynasty was the manifestation of irreligion and the, Pur, the Pandava army was the manifestation or personification of God consciousness, religion. Now, Arjuna saw family members, friends, his own teacher, on the opposite opposing force of the Kuru army. In this way, he became very reflective and he decided he would not fight this war. He decided he would leave the battlefield. He would run from this horrible dilemma or crisis that was before him in life. This is the nature of all of us. We want to run from the crises in life. This is one of the reasons people turn to alcohol. 
They face, they face crises in their life and they don't want to face it. They don't want to admit the situation that they're in and fight. They want to forget it and escape by some artificial process. So Arjuna was like that. He wanted to run away. And he began to speak very nice logic and philosophy to Krishna. Why he's not going to fight. As long as Arjuna was presenting himself as a very learned man, Krishna had nothing to say to him. Because God never interferes with our independence. But then, through the course of his mind's ever-changing nature, Arjuna realized that he was in a completely miserable, bewildered, and confused state. And then he turned to Krishna. Karapanya doso pahata swabhava prichchamitvam dharma samuta cheha yachtrayasya nishchitam bruhitan meshishyasthi hamsadi mantram papanam. My dear Lord, I am confused about my duty. I have lost all composure because of weakness. I do not know what is to be done and what is not to be done. I do not know what is religion and what is irreligion. I cannot even hold my bow. My mouth is parched dry. My limbs are trembling and I'm pale white. Now I am your disciple, please instruct me. Krishna remained silent until Arjuna came to this conclusion, until he decided that I know nothing. Now let your will be done. And what was Krishna's first words to Arjuna? When Arjuna, in this confused and bewildered state, admitted his frailty, admitted his uselessness to solve his own problems, and surrendered to God, at that time, Krishna smiled. Because he knew, now I can help my devotee. Before then, there's nothing I can do to help him. And Krishna's first words, Asochyananvasochastvam pragyavadam stabhashasi gatasama gatasam stanano sochanti pandita. He said, Arjuna, while speaking learned words, you are actually revealing yourself to be the greatest fool. You're lamenting for that which is not worthy of your grief. Until Arjuna made the decision that he was going to admit that he is fool number one, that he knows nothing, that he's helpless and hopeless, and turn to God genuinely and honestly for direction, he could not be saved. He could not be helped. And that is the decision that every one of us has to make. It is not a question of just going along with the procedures of the Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a question of, from the bottom of our heart, making this decision in our life. That I'm a fool, I know nothing, and I desperately need the guidance of God and His devotees.
That is the beginning of our spiritual life. In the Bible, because I know most many of you are Christians here today, we find that the Pharisees at the time of Lord Jesus, they were very expert at chanting mantras. Huh? They were very expert at performing the rituals in the synagogue of the Temple of Solomon. They were very, very proficient at making the offerings, the burnt offerings to the Ark of the Covenant. They were very well respected by all the religious Jews of the day. But Jesus saw that it was all mechanical, it was all superficial. Therefore, he condemned them. He told them that you have a form of religion, but you have forgotten this power and spirit behind it. And there was a low-class, sinful woman who was a prostitute. And in those days in Jerusalem, a low-class prostitute was lower and worse than an untouchable in today's society in India. No decent, respectable man would be seen talking to or going near such a person. Right in the presence of the Pharisees, this prostitute came to Jesus. And she was so repentant for the sins that she had committed. She was so genuinely and honestly considering herself so low, so ignorant, and so sinful that she was totally begging Jesus, take my life, take control of my life. I'm surrendered to you. And she was crying so much that with the hair from her head, she began to bathe Jesus' feet with her tears. Now all these Pharisees, these high priests, when they saw it, Jesus is allowing this low-class, untouchable woman to do like this? First of all, they wouldn't allow her in the house. She came to the house. They said, you cannot come in, in our house. Jesus said, come in. And they condemned Jesus Christ for allowing this prostitute to do this. But Jesus looked at them and he told them that if you want to be God conscious, you have to become like her. <laughs> now to tell high priests, gurus, to become like a prostitute, an untouchable, it was a very great blow to their ego. This is one of the reasons why they didn't like him. But it is a fact. She had made that decision in her life that I am so low and so downtrodden and so ignorant, I cannot save myself, my dear Lord. Please save me. I am yours. From this day, I am yours. Until you make that decision in life, all your spiritual rituals, all your spiritual processes are all superficial. That was the beginning of Arjuna's spiritual life. It is only when we come to that conclusion that we have opened our heart to receive the mercy of God. Does that answer your question? Is there any other questions? Any other questions? Yes, sir. Maharaj, you could tell me a little about this... Uh 
taking up an inventory, I mean, in your this thing, personal inventory with made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Uh, this means you shouldn't look for the good qualities in yourself. <laughs> a word of wisdom is you should look for the good qualities in others and avoid seeing the bad qualities. And you should look for the bad qualities of yourself and avoid seeing the good qualities. A man of wisdom, this is the, this is the principle he lives by. You see, it's very easy to find faults in others. Just like a fly. If a fly is in a beautiful garden of lotus flowers, there might be 10,000 fragrant lotus flowers in a garden. But if there's one little piece of stool somewhere in the, fly, in the garden, the fly will disregard all the lotus flowers and simply go to where the stool is and enjoy tasting the stool. Huh? Now a, now a, a honeybee, he may be in a garbage dump full of garbage and trash and stool. But if there's, in the midst of all of that, if there's one flower, he'll simply go to that flower and drink the honey from that flower. So we are meant to be like honeybees, not flies. But factually, this world today is just one big swarm of flies. Huh? Everyone is very, very anxious to find the faults in others. And everyone is very, very reluctant to admit any fault in himself. One is very anxious to broadcast what I have done, who I am, and how glorious I am, whether it's true or not. But factually, whether it's true or not, from the spiritual point of view, makes no difference. Even if it's true, you should not be glorifying yourself. What to speak of it's not true. Therefore, always look for the virtues and good qualities in others but try to find the defects in oneself because that will help you to become humble and turn to God. You see, let us take the example of Arjuna. He was full of glorious qualities. He had so many glories. He had so many attributes which were respected and worshipable. And as long as he was thinking he had any of those attributes, he could not turn to God. When he finally turned to Krishna, he said, I am confused, I don't know anything, I'm fool number one, I'm nothing, I'm useless, please Krishna, save me. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, there's a story of Sanatana Goswami. He was the most learned man on earth. He knew the scriptures of all the religions of the world. He was the prime minister of one of the most powerful kings in India. He had incredible wealth, power, and prestige. But when he came before Lord Chaitanya, he prostrated himself, 
He put straw between his teeth as a sign of humility. And he said, my dear Lord, I am the greatest fool. I have no good qualities. I'm a sinful man. And the most sinful quality I have is that people praise me as being great and learned, and I am so sinful that I believe them. But in fact, I'm suffering, and I don't know how to get out of this suffering. I don't know who I am or where I'm going, and I don't know God. So therefore, I am fool number one. Please instruct me, I take shelter of you. So take a personal inventory means we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to see how we are cheating ourselves daily. And we have to admit it. We have to see how we are cheating others, even our near and dear ones, daily, and we have to admit it. We have to see how we are lying to ourselves and lying to the world and admit it. Huh? And believe me, there's a huge stock of inventory within the hearts of all of us. Is it not true? We have to realistically and honestly understand what our real position is in this world and stop trying to fool ourselves and stop trying to fool others. Because you cannot fool God. Does that answer your question? Yes. His will is uni his will is universal. His will is universal. Then why do we have to see? Let me continue. His will is universal, but it must be specifically revealed to each aspiring devotee to understand it. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Bhakto si me shakacheti rahasyam yeta dutamam. Sa eva yamaya tedya yogo prokta puratana. Bhakto si me shakacheti rahasyam yeta dutamam. This means that I am speaking the words of Bhagavad Gita for everyone to hear. It's a universal principle. It's a universal teaching. It's meant for everyone. It's not a secret. But only those who are my friends and devotees, who humble themselves and open their hearts, only they can enter into the mystery of this universal teaching. Lord Jesus in the Bible, he was giving his words, a universal message. He was speaking it to everyone. 
when he was giving the Sermon on the Mount, the rich were there, the poor were there. The priests, the Pharisees were there, and the prostitutes were there. Everyone was there. The message is universal. The message is for everyone. The message applies to everyone. But he explained in that dialogue that when a preacher speaks, when God gives his universal message, he is throwing the seed of love, the seed of knowledge, into the hearts of everyone. Now the question is, what is the condition of your heart? If a seed is thrown on rocks, what will happen to that seed? It cannot grow. So if you are too much attached to sinful activities and false pride, your heart becomes hard, and that universal seed of love cannot grow. It cannot put its roots within your heart. And sometimes we cast seeds down, but then birds come and eat those seeds. Huh? If we associate with evil-minded persons, this is very important. As Alcoholics Anonymous, this is one of the basic tenets, that who you associate with is the most important part of your life. If you associate with drinkers, it's impossible. You'll never give up drinking. You might as well forget about even trying. But if you give up that association and associate with pious persons who are attempting, who are sharing your desire to give it up, then you will have the strength to give it up. It is guaranteed. So if you associate with evil-minded, materialistic people, envious people, then that seed will simply be devoured like birds. They will never grow within your heart. But if your heart is like a fertile field, then that seed will immediately put its roots and the flower of love will very soon grow. So the seeds are being cast universally for everyone. But the receptivity of our heart determines whether it will grow, whether it will be understood, or whether it will not. So we have to cultivate our heart and associating with saintly persons, giving up envious, materialistic association, chanting the names of God, living according to religious principles, and most important, humbling ourselves, genuinely humbling ourselves before God, and crying out for His mercy. That makes our heart a fertile field by which that seed of knowledge will be understood and that seed of love will grow. Do you understand? The principle is universal. But God reveals himself according to how you humble yourself before him. Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Is there any other questions? Yes. Uh, I already did elaborate, but if you want me to elaborate. 
There's a story in the Srimad Bhagavatam about a Brahmin from Avantadesh. He was a very wealthy businessman and he had all sorts of luxuries in life, all sorts of prestige. He had a big family and he was considering himself most fortunate. But then what happened is one day some thieves came and stole everything he had and burned all his property. Huh? He was a big, big businessman, magnate. He never thought this would happen. But the fact is, it could happen tomorrow to any one of us. His family members, they were thinking, what uselessness now, you can't even support us, we don't need you, they left him. And all his friends, you know, in, in the aristocratic circles, our friends are only our friends as long as we can help them in their sense gratification. Huh? As soon as we're no longer helpful to them, then we're not their friends anymore. There's a saying, with friends like that, who needs enemies? Huh? Especially in the circles of aristocracy. Friendship is very shallow, superficial, and only if you can maintain a certain level of integrity within the society can you be my friend. Huh? So this person lost all his friends, lost all his relatives, lost all his wealth, lost everything. And he was considering himself the most unfortunate man on earth. And from the material condition he was. He was laying there crying and lamenting for days. There was nothing else that he could do except cry and lament. What else are you going to do? He was just sitting on the ground with no one to turn to. And in this condition, an awakening took place in his life. And he offered a prayer to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord, in this condition, my Lord, I only have you to turn to. Now, let me follow in the footsteps of all the great saints. And let me follow your path in life. And as soon as he even prayed in this way, he became so illuminated with joy and hope that he became self-realized within minutes. And he became the most blissful, the most peaceful, and the most, he felt himself the most fortunate man on earth. Huh? He had achieved a tremendous,